Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is Corinne Pettit, and our topic today circles back to a health issue we briefly addressed in our first episode of the year titled Resolutions, Lifestyle Changes, and Your Psoriasis, which is the impact of smoking as discussed in the Awareness and Attention to Comorbidities Associated with Psoriasis Guidelines. Returning for a discussion about the relationship with systemic inflammation and lung health is pulmonologist and chief medical officer at the American Lung Association, Dr. Albert Rizzo. Dr. Rizzo has long been a key medical advisor for the American Lung Association, playing a role in research, advocacy, communications, development, and health promotions. Dr. Rizzo is a member of the Section of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at the Christiana Care Health System in Newark, Delaware, and a member of the Christiana Care Pulmonary Associates. Also returning for today's discussion is Deb Brown, the Chief Mission Officer for the American Lung Association. Ms. Brown has an extensive history with the organization. Over her 37-year career, she has been responsible for development, implementation, and evaluation of adult and pediatric lung disease programs, along with passage of key legislation initiatives in the area of tobacco, asthma, school health, and health care. She also served as the Executive Vice President for the Mid-Atlantic Region of the American Lung Association before being promoted to Chief Mission Officer. Ms. Brown will provide information about key services offered by the American Lung Association, as well as inform us about a special offer being made available for those who listen to today's episode. Welcome back, Dr. Rizzo and Ms. Brown. It's a pleasure to have you join Soundbites again. So given your expertise, you're the perfect guest to discuss the impact of smoking on overall health. To start our discussion today, let's talk about lung function and what happens with age. Dr. Rizzo, as we become older, would you say that lung capacity generally declines? Yes, uh, certainly our our lungs develop actually through the first three decades of life, and it's probably not till our early to mid-20s that we reach our peak of lung function. And then over the course of time, we gradually lose a certain amount of lung volume. The question is, how does that change with time based on exposures that we have, comorbidities that develop? And certainly there's an underlying basis for genetics as to how high our lung function was at our peak in the 20s. So we do know it drops over a course of years. And really, that's part of the research questions that our uh, American Lung Association, through our cohort study, is going to look at in the decades ahead. And Dr. Rizzo, are there other factors that impact lung capacity or health and, and to what degree? Generally, good lung health involves some of the main things that help health in general. Proper sleep, keeping your weight under control proper activity level. And I think that's important for all aspects of health. But then when you look specifically at the lungs, we're really looking at two main factors of lung function. One has to do with the lung capacity or the size of the lung. One has to do with the flow of air in and out of the lungs. The first one, the lung capacity, is often impacted most commonly by things that restrict the the chest cage. The most common thing would be weight. So putting on additional weight, especially carrying it right under your diaphragm, will impede the lung's ability to expand. Other things that may be more common are certainly back injuries, changes in the curvature of a spine due to some fractures and osteoporosis. All those with time will restrict the lungs. The other obstructive 
problem, the flow of air, is usually affected by our environmental exposures and behaviors such as smoking and exposure to occupational environmental toxins. And with time, that can worsen our lung function as well. And you mentioned smoking. What health risks are associated with smoking? Does smoking contribute to the development of inflammation in the body? Smoking is really the number one preventable cause of morbidity and mortality throughout the world. Certainly in the lungs, it's very well recognized that the airways get inflamed in individuals who smoke. There's also evidence that the fine texture of the lungs develop emphysema as a result of the breakdown of the normal architecture of the lung due to smoking. And there's a very high correlation with smoking and other diseases of the body, particularly cardiovascular disease, diabetes, as well as other what's considered immunologic or autoimmune diseases. We know that the inflammation in the airways probably spills over into the systemic system. So that inflammation correlates well with the cigarette smoking. And if you look at individuals who smoke, they have a higher incidence of some of these comorbidities that I just mentioned, heart disease, immune-mediated diseases, and the like. So I'm curious, is there a specific ingredient such as nicotine or other ingredients found within cigarettes that may prompt the development of inflammation? Well, we know that in a cigarette, there's probably over 7,000 toxin chemicals in an average cigarette smoker's uh, duration of smoking that cigarette. Probably 70 at least are considered cancer-causing. So there's a whole host of chemicals that can incite some of the inflammation. Now, certainly nicotine is an important factor in the smoking process because it's the main ingredient that leads to the addiction to smoking and keeps individuals inhaling these toxins over the course of time. Nicotine also does play a role as a receptor in the body, actually triggering some of the immune-mediated conditions that we, we talked about. So certainly nicotine can release immune factors into the airways as well as the rest of the body as it's absorbed, as well as all the other chemicals that are included in the cigarette smoke. So now let's switch to the disease that most of our listeners are familiar with. Can you elaborate on why psoriasis increases with smoking? There's a number of uh, research theories behind this, and actually more than theories. Some of this is actually based on some trials that have been done looking at immune mediators that are released when nicotine is used. Certainly some of the cytokines, what's called interleukin-12 or something called TNF, tumor necrosis factor, play a role in a lot of immune-mediated diseases, and psoriasis is one of them. And there are also studies looking at the fact that this relationship with smoking may also be more prominent in certain individuals that have a certain genetic code that's been looked at in their genes. So I think it's multifactorial. And again, the bottom line message for not only psoriasis, but any smoking-related diseases, don't smoke. So in recent years, there have been other ways for people to smoke, such as e-cigarettes, vaping, or even marijuana, which is now legal in many states. Are there health risks associated with each of those smoking options also? Well, there's this multiple questions in that, and we'll, let's take them a little bit at a time. One of the biggest concerns we as the Lung Association have around e-cigarettes is not only the fact that we know the emissions from these e-cigarettes contain some of the same harmful chemicals that cigarettes do, but we also know that the nicotine that's contained in those e-cigarettes is the main addicting component that has really gotten a whole new generation of younger people hooked on the nicotine habit and by way of the e-cigarettes with the concern that they're going to go on and become lifetime smokers. Because as adolescents, getting that nicotine addiction becomes very hard to break. The brain at that stage of life is very adaptable to that nicotine, and it's very hard to quit after that. Most individuals who are cigarette smokers have become addicted prior to the age of 18. So the epidemic of e-cigarettes is a concern to us. And then the other more specific issue around the emissions from the e-cigarettes 
is that they haven't been really out in the marketplace more than maybe 10 to 15 years to really look at what are some of the long-term effects of these chemicals as they're being inhaled. We certainly know that the acute effects include the same types of acute inflammation in the airways and exposure to carcinogens that regular cigarettes do. But what that will mean in 10, 15, 20 years with regard to developing emphysema or lung cancer still is not proven, but certainly that is one of the biggest concerns we have. So vaping or e-cigarettes are probably in that same category. Marijuana is a slightly different situation. The biggest issue with marijuana is that because of its legal status, it really hasn't been able to be studied in very well-controlled trials to look at long-term effects. And it's also very hard to sort out the effects of cannabis or marijuana in smokers because many of them also smoke cigarettes. So it's hard to sort out what the effects of the different materials being used by that population. Certainly the research around that is going to increase over the years with recreational and medicinal marijuana being available. We're going to have to do a better job at looking at the research and break down some of the barriers that there were related to research in this field, mainly because it still is considered illegal by the federal government. And what about chewing tobacco? Sometimes chewing is used as a substitute for smoking. Does it also have an effect on health? Yeah, there's still nicotine in that product, so the addiction goes on. And we know that oral tobacco can lead to oral cancers. So, And the same thing as far as the systemic effects of the nicotine and the toxins getting into the immune system. Quitting is not the same as, as switching, whether it's switching to a different form of e-cigarette or to a different type of tobacco oral or ingested. So I think that's the main message is getting off all nicotine is the best advice. So in our previous podcast in April, you mentioned the effects of COVID-19 on the lungs. If someone is or has been a smoker, does that impact his or her risk for COVID-19? Yeah, the, the CDC has listed a number of factors that put individuals not at a higher risk to develop the disease, but once they get the disease, a higher risk of developing the complications. And smoking and vaping is considered among them. And again, the theory is that the inflammation created by that behavior leads to inflammation in the airways that is now worsened by the inflammation caused by the virus. And we know in many individuals, the virus leads to an overreactive response by the body's immune system. So that can only worsen the situation if the body already has inflammation due to cigarettes. And what about secondhand or even thirdhand smoke? Is the risk of disease equal to that of a person who is actually doing the smoking? Well, we know that secondhand smoke has been shown to lead to increased risks of individuals in the area with asthma and COPD causing exacerbation when they're exposed to secondhand smoke. There's a little bit less evidence around thirdhand smoke. And just to be clear, thirdhand smoke has to do with the kind of smell that you have when you walk into a hotel room that was not a non-smoking room. So it's, it's the smell that and particles that are in upholstery, carpets, curtains. So that smell can be irritating to individuals with lung disease. We know that secondhand smoke also is a cause of lung cancer. I can't say specifically whether thirdhand smoke's been shown to do that, but definitely secondhand smoke causes airway inflammation, worsens exacerbations for asthma and COPD patients, and can lead to cancer of the lung. And are there any genetic factors or groups that are at higher risk for development of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which is also known as COPD, emphysema, heart disease, or cancer in association with smoking? A number of studies looking at cohorts of COPD. COPD gene and spiromics are two research studies looking at characteristics of individuals who have developed COPD. The problem is there's not been a real long-term study of individuals prior to developing COPD. And the reason I say that, for example, in heart disease, we know that population of individuals who have high cholesterol, treating that cholesterol can have an impact on the development of heart disease. 
we don't have a parameter like that in COPD. What we are studying are the diseases as they develop become symptomatic. We also are looking at genetic factors that may group individuals where there's a family prevalence among the individuals who develop COPD. And certainly the, the fact that the heavier smokers tend to be more likely to develop COPD. But that's not even foolproof. We have plenty of histories and people who smoke their whole life and never develop significant symptoms. And a lot of it has to do with how they handle the toxins related to their genetics. But there's no identifiable risk factor for one population. We do know that different minority groups, lower socioeconomic groups, have a higher impact of disease related to smoking. But that's probably more a combination of the smoking along with the other social determinants of health. We know that population has less access to good care, may have less access to affordable housing, living in crowded conditions where it's easier to transmit diseases. They may have a higher incidence of obesity. So there's a lot of factors that make some of these diseases more common in that population. It's not all necessarily related to the genetics of the disease or the physiology of the disease. So and for both of you, what recommendations can you make that decrease the risk of disease associated with smoking, such as you just mentioned, Dr. Rizzo? And if someone did stop smoking, what is the effect on their overall health? So a couple things that people can do to help themselves reduce their risk for COPD, heart disease, cancer, et cetera, is to make sure that if they are a smoker, that they stop smoking. Quitting smoking is really the single most important thing a smoker can do to live a longer and healthier life. If the person doesn't smoke, don't start. Smoking, as we mentioned, can cause things like COPD, lung cancer, heart disease, and other cancers. Individuals will want to avoid exposure to secondhand smoke and make their homes smoke-free. They'll be protecting themselves. They'll be protecting their family. We want to make sure that they're aware of other dangers that could be out there, things to protect themselves against chemicals and dust and fumes in their home and at their workplace. And then last is to help fight for clean air. We want them to work with other people in their communities to help really clean up the air that we all breathe. And the other thing I'll add, once an individual does stop smoking, there's a number of studies that show that the benefits are almost immediate within minutes to hours, things like the heart rate circulation and blood pressure all improve. And then if you look at the course of the next one to 10 or 15 years, the risk of developing heart disease or lung disease or lung cancer tend to drop after those periods of time if somebody stops smoking. So there's both immediate and long-term benefits if the individual can get off the cigarettes. Many of the comorbidities associated with psoriasis can be related or at least partially with smoking, and they can include cardiovascular disease, inflammatory bowel disease, and several cancers. And these comorbidities can increase severity of psoriasis as well. Smoking may make some treatments for psoriatic arthritis less effective over time. And then current and past smokers have a higher risk for developing psoriasis. However, by quitting, those individuals can gradually reduce the odds of developing it. And then the last, in 2014, the Surgeon General's report on smoking links cigarette use to several rheumatological diseases. That's a really great point, Deb, about the impact smoking has on treatments. So, Deb, what services are available through the American Lung Association to help someone who's on the fence about stopping smoking? The American Lung Association has numerous programs that are available, and we have introduced a program over 35 years ago called the American Lung Association's Freedom from Smoking Program, 
and it's helped over millions of Americans end their nicotine dependency and begin new tobacco-free lives. And it's really a program that's based on proven addiction and behavior change models. The program offers a structured, systematic approach to quitting, and its positive messages emphasize the benefits of better health. We've done all kinds of evaluation studies and research that have shown that people who participate in these freedom from smoking or quit smoking programs experience both immediate and long-term health benefits. They learn to address and overcome the physical, mental, and social aspects of their addiction. They're six times more likely to be smoke-free one year later than those who quit on their own. And our program really boasts a 57% quit rate at six months when used in combination with a smoking cessation medication. And the program comes in four different modalities, online, in-person, telephonic, and self-help. Well, this sounds like a really effective program. Are there services available to help family members support their loved ones who are trying to quit smoking or encouraging them to stop if they are even considering it? Sure. The American Lung Association has information that you can get through our website or through our free helpline, 1-800-LUNG-USA. But quitting is really different for each smoker, and everyone experiences the challenges a little bit differently. But a couple tips just to help a smoker quit is ask the friend or a family member what they think they need most. Ask them what the best thing you could do to help them. Tell your friend or family member that you know that he or she can quit smoking for good, even if they have tried to quit before. When the person is going through the first few days after quitting, we want to be ready to help them. That, that person may just need to talk. They may need some extra help if they're going through a tough situation. And just offer to call and visit or check in on them and just ask how they're doing. A couple things we would encourage individuals not to nag or scold or preach because that doesn't really help the individual. We want to let them know that we admire them for trying to quit. And is there a cost associated with the Freedom from Smoking Plus program, which you mentioned? Well, the American Lung Association has a partnership with the National Psoriasis Foundation, and we will be providing free one-year memberships to our premier tobacco cessation program, the Freedom from Smoking Plus program, to patients who are ready to quit. And this program works for the patient at their own pace, and it's accessible on any digital device like a smartphone or a tablet or a laptop. In addition to assisting the individual in developing a tailored tobacco treatment plan and really helping them to navigate step-by-step -step processes to help them quit, the program offers a one-year of continuous support through the American Lung Association's Lung Health Line to assist with their new tobacco-free lifestyle. And so individuals who are interested in receiving this particular program should be reaching out to learn more about it and touching base with their National Psoriasis Foundation. The value of the program is $99.95, but it is free. Which the foundation definitely appreciates a special partnership to help those who have psoriasis who, and who smoke. Hopefully it provides an opportunity to stop smoking and improve overall health in ways you mentioned previously. So thank you again for providing this special opportunity. And Dr. Rizzo and Deb, are there any current trends with smoking and lung disease other than COVID-19 that you find concerning that we should make our listeners aware of? I'll start with that. I think I alluded to some of this earlier is that the 
the current trend is we've made such progress over the last couple of decades in getting the national smoking rate down into the, the mid-teens in many places, but we're concerned about a newer generation of individuals starting to smoke as a result of the e-cigarette epidemic. We also are constantly working uh, with our legislators to help make sure that any other additional products that come on the market that may be touted as safer cigarettes or less harmful cigarettes really have to be careful how they're they're marketed because, again, it is tobacco, and in many situations, there still may be harm that we don't know about because of the fact that these products have not been on the market for enough time to really assess. So I'll see if Deb has additional information for that. I don't. I think you hit all the highlights. So Deb and Dr. Rizzo, what final comments would you like to share with our listeners today about the importance of stopping smoking? As I said before, smoking is the the number one preventable cause of, of morbidity and mortality throughout the world. and certainly quitting smoking, although it is a tough thing to do, we know that people can quit. It's a matter of the right time, the right support system, and the right help that caregivers and family members can give them in that process of quitting. And certainly American Lung Association, as you've heard during this podcast, has multiple resources available, not only to the general public, but some specific ones to the psoriasis members. So I think just knowing that uh, your health can improve by quitting smoking, not only for you, but for people around you, your young children, the elderly adults you may have to be living with or caring for will all benefit from getting rid of that smoking habit. I would just add that most people know that smoking is harmful to their health. They know they should quit, but they also know that it's not easy. And I think that it's really important for us to make sure that individuals who want to quit smoking know that there is a lot of help out there available for them and that they can quit and that taking that quitting is taking a big step and there's lots of support there for them. Well, thank you, Dr. Rizzo and Deb, for sharing your knowledge about the impact smoking has on our bodies and for the amazing work you do through the American Lung Association. Hopefully the information you shared today will encourage our listeners to take action towards better health outcomes by stopping smoking. Psoriasis Action Month is the perfect time to start on your journey towards better health, and the helpful information given by Deb and Dr. Rizzo is a great first step. For our listeners, if you would like to quit smoking and need help to do so, take advantage of the free special offer to participate in the Freedom from Smoking Plus program by contacting the National Psoriasis Foundation's Patient Navigation Center by calling 1-800-723-9166, option 1, or by email at education at psoriasis.org. This offer is only available through the National Psoriasis Foundation. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us in a couple weeks for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.